Thanks for listening to the Seeds Church Podcast. If you're in Middle Tennessee, we'd love to have you join us in person for one of our services. Check out SeedsChurchTN.com for times and locations. Now, here's our lead pastor, J.D. Swillard. Well, we're starting a brand new series today called Hope for Your Home, and I'm really excited about this because, you know, when we know that when things aren't right at home, <laughs> things in the rest of our life aren't right. But if we can get things right at home, man, God can use us to make a big impact, not just in our home, but outside of our home. So to start off, I think it's important that we can just kind of give some definition to what we mean when we say the word home. You know, when we're talking about home, we're saying that home is where you are right now. Whatever season that you're in right now, that's home. Now, for some of you, you know, uh, you might be, have just moved here, you're going to college, and, or you're getting ready to very soon, you're going to move off to college and you're going to be in a new place, you're in a new city, you're meeting new people, different people, uh, you're, you're just in this new routine of life trying to fit in, you've, you know, moved away from mom and dad, but it's not forever, but it's home right now. Or maybe you're like the parents that just sent that last child off to college and you're looking at your spouse right now and you're going, what do we do now? You know, you're trying to figure out, uh, you know, what does this life look like now as empty nesters? You know, uh, life or home for you right now, it could be um, being a blended family and you're trying to combine two different family cultures into one. And so you're navigating that and all the, the wonderful things that come with that. Or you, you might be a single parent, and you're having to navigate with your kids life right now, and this is what home looks like for you. Or if you're like me, you're married with children, you know? Home looks like so many different ways for all of us. You know, for Jamie and I, we've got three kids. We've got two teenagers and a tween. And sometimes we want to pull our hair out and just like at home because we're like, is anything that we're saying getting through to them? You know, is anything that we're doing, is it getting through to them? Will the fighting and arguing ever stop sometimes? You know, will the bickering ever stop? When will it stop? When will it stop? When will the overreactions ever stop? And sometimes the question comes to me is, is there hope for my home? Is there hope? And I don't know what your situation is like. I don't know what your home situation is like right now. But at some point in all of our lives, we ask ourselves this question, is there hope for my home? And, and I just want to say this also, balancing statement. My kids are amazing. You know, Jelana, she's 16. She's gonna be a, she is a junior this year. Noble's a freshman this year. Jocelyn's in fifth grade this year. And I'm already planning their graduation parties for all three of them. They're each going to get a graduation party. But we're also, Jamie and I are going to have a separate party just to celebrate. We did it. We got them through school. We didn't kill anybody. There's hope for my home. Anyway, maybe your situation's more serious than this right now. Maybe your situation is, is that you and your spouse have been like seriously and openly now talking about separation or divorce. Maybe you've got some difficult situations that you're walking through with your kids right now. And you find yourself asking, is there hope for my home? Is there hope for my situation? And I'm here to tell you today, the answer is 
Yes. God, the creator of the universe. God, the one who knew you before you were formed in your mother's womb, can redeem your past and your present and give you hope for the future. No matter where you find yourself in life right now, there's always an opportunity for you to take a step toward God's hope. So home is where you are right now, but home is also where you've been. Home is also where you've been. Your home culture of the past has a tremendous effect on your home today. Your home shapes so much of what you think about life. It shapes your beliefs. It shapes your political views. It shapes what you think about money, about work, about authority, about race, about gender roles, so on and so forth. Your home growing up has had a tremendous effect on who you are today. You might say, well, J.D., I'm nothing like my parents. I don't want to be anything like my parents. because So, so my home culture is totally different. And that might be true. But it still stands to reason that your home culture today is in reaction to your home culture of the past. It's affected you in profound ways. That's what culture does. It shapes people. I heard someone ask this question once. They says, do you think a fish knows that it lives in water? Or does it, does it just think that, well, this is just all that there is? You know, and that's what culture's like. You don't ever necessarily think about it. It's just there all the time. It's what normal is to you. It's what normal is to you. I was in Thailand several years ago, many years ago, on a mission trip. And towards the end of our trip, we had come out of the villages and we were heading back into the city. And uh, we were in Chiang Mai and we decided to go to this nighttime market, outdoor market, nighttime. And we we're just walking through the market and doing a little souvenir shopping and taking in all this Thai culture. And it was amazing. We're having a great time. And as we're walking through, I turn around and I see our friend David. And David was his English name, okay? And so David was a Thai national. He was one of the guys that was leading our trip. And, um, and David was having a great time at the market with us, but he wasn't enthralled with everything like we were because this was just normal to him. It was his culture. It was what was normal. And David had in his hand a paper plate, and he's eating off the paper plate. And I look over there, and it looks like he's having a great time eating whatever this is. He's just chomping down on it. It looks to him like it's delicious. And I said, David, um, what, what are you eating there? And he said, fried grub worms. Do you want some? And I was like, sure, okay, well, I'm in Thailand. When, when am I ever going to have another opportunity to eat fried grub worms in Thailand? So sure, I was like, I mean, it looked like funnel cake is what it looked like. So, but anyway, I, I grabbed a piece off of his plate and I ate it and it tasted like dirt. Surprise, not really. And uh, he's like, well, do you want more? And I'm like, I'm good. One bite, that's good. I've, I've done it. I can say that I did it. I'm good. And then David just goes right back to eating his fried grub worms like it's normal. And it was normal to him because that was his culture. It was his culture. And all of us, 
We have what is normal to us. We have what is our culture to us. And a lot of that comes from our home of the past. Growing up, our home of the past. Culture shapes you in ways that you don't even think about it. And your family has a culture. Your family has certain views, certain ways of experiencing life. And the fact is, is that our home shapes us in profound ways, profound ways. It affects us in every little thing in life. And I remember one of the first times I ran into family culture shock. Jamie and I had just got married. We are on our honeymoon. We are getting ready to venture off into our very first vacation together, right? This is supposed to be a wonderful, blissful time, but our families had two different family cultures of when it came to what vacationing was like. So for my family, I grew up with a culture of, hey, it's vacation time. We're going to leave at this predetermined time so that we can get to our destination when we want to get there so that we can start our fun activities that we've perfectly timed and scheduled. Come on now. Don't shout me down. And, uh, I remember my mom would even pack our lunches in the cooler so that we could just eat in the car and not have to make another stop for lunch so that we could just make better time getting to where we were going. Now, Jamie's family culture was, you know what? It's not about the destination. It's about the journey. (laughs) We'll leave eventually. (laughs) We'll eat when we eat. We'll do things when we do them. Nothing is scheduled. Nothing is planned. And so what is supposed to be this this blissful time, our first vacation together as a married couple? There's this undercurrent the entire time of this, this tension between our two family cultures of what we expect things to be, how we expect them to be. Now, thank God, 20 years later, we, we celebrate our 20th wedding anniversary on the 21st of this month. I got married when I was five, so uh, thank God now the years have passed and we've developed our own unique family culture when it comes to vacations, you know, but there's still moments when we're on vacation together 20 years later and I get this, this feeling of like, this is not going the way it should go, the way it's supposed to go and I'm getting this little feeling of irritation kind of rising up on the inside of me. What is that? That's my past family culture that's still kind of buried in there in me somewhere. And you know what? Neither way is right. Neither way is wrong. It's just different. And so we've got these these two different things happening here. So there's no right way or necessarily wrong way. Where does that come from? It comes much from your family culture of the past. What's important for us to realize is this is that the home of our past affects the home of our today. And the home of our today affects the home of our future. Your past home affects your home today, and your home today affects your future home, and affects the future home of your kids, and affects the future home of your grandkids. As a matter of fact, uh, Exodus chapter 20, verse 5, Exodus chapter uh, 34, verse 6, ex, uh, excuse me, Numbers uh, 14, 18, and all throughout the scriptures, God tells us 
that how we do life today, what our home culture looks like today, has an effect on our kids and our grandkids and even our great-grandkids. So the big question that we need to ask ourselves here is this, is what does a real Jesus culture look like in my home? What does a real Jesus culture look like in my home? This question is so paramount because if our Christianity doesn't do us any good at home, then what good is our Christianity at all? Over the last few generations, many people, many young people have been leaving the church, have been leaving the faith that they grew up in. Why is that? Well, I think one of the reasons, it's not the only reason, but one of the reasons that they're leaving the church, one of the reasons they're leaving the faith that they grew up in is because they saw mom and dad profess a Christianity publicly, but at home, not so much. They didn't live it out at home. Some of us, we've argued for the sanctity of marriage online, but we've not fought for the sanctity of marriage at home. And so if your Christianity doesn't make a difference in your home, what good then is your Christianity? What we need to feel an urgency about is that if we can develop a real Jesus culture in our homes by the power and the leadership of the Holy Spirit, then we can not only change the culture of our homes today, but it will affect our family tree for generations to come. Amen? Amen. That's exciting. It's very exciting, especially for some of us who... We've come from family trees. We've come from family cultures, you know, homes of the past where it looked nothing like a Jesus culture. And it's exciting that the Holy Spirit wants to come into your life and partner with you to shape your home culture today to affect your family tree in generations to come. So how do we approach establishing a Jesus culture in our homes? I think there's, there's three different approaches that I want to talk about today, the first two are poor. They're broken systems. And then the last one is everything. So the first approach that some people make towards their culture at home is abdication. Abdication. Abdication simply means a failure to live up to a particular responsibility. Probably one of the more famous examples of this is King Edward VIII, also known as the Duke of Windsor. And King Edward VIII, he took the throne of England January 20th, 1936, and he stepped down from the throne of England December 11th, 1936. It's less than a year. Why? Because Edward was in love with this woman who had been previously divorced twice, and uh, this woman named Wallace Simpson. And he's the king of England, which means he's also the leader of the Church of England. And so in 1936, this is pretty scandalous. Even today it would be probably for the the English monarchy, but for, for him to be involved with a woman who'd been divorced. And so what does he do? He steps down from the crown. He gave up his crown in order to pursue this relationship with Wallace Simpson. He abdicated. 
He didn't live up to his responsibility as king. And sometimes we abdicate our responsibility to establish culture in our home. There's two things that we need to know about our homes. The first one is this, is that your home has a culture. The question is not whether or not your home has a culture. It has a culture. The question is whether or not you're being intentional about building culture in your home. The second thing is this, is that a healthy home culture rarely ever happens on accident. Our goal to have a real Jesus culture in our home, it's not going to happen by accident. It's not going to happen by happenstance. It's not going to happen because we just accidentally stumbled into it. It's going to happen because we were intentional about building the kind of home culture that we wanted to establish. I've got a good friend of mine. He pastors in Nova Scotia. And um, I've heard him talk about before that his family has a family creed. And as I was thinking about this, being intentional about building family culture, a culture at home, a Jesus culture, I thought of my friend Mike. And so I texted him. I said, Mike, send me the Miller family creed. And so he sent it to me, and I want to show it to you right here. We'll read it together. It says this, We are generous with our time, hearts, and possessions. We laugh often and hard and have buoyant spirits even in stormy seasons. We live on purpose with purpose, knowing we have a God-given assignment for our lives and we will not settle for less. We believe that right choices lead to right emotions. We are thankful. We are active in our faith, family, friendships, and culture, refusing to be spectators. We believe in second chances. We see the glass as half full and choose to speak hope and life daily. We believe in people, ourselves, and miracles. We do what's right, not what's popular, basing our beliefs on God's word, not culture's trends. We believe our friends today determine our future tomorrow. We are loyal to our family and love each other, all the pounds in the world, always and forever, till the end of time, no matter what. And at the end of this document, they actually have a space for each one of the family members to sign their name, saying, yes, I take responsibility. This is my creed. This is my family. I'm going to be responsible for carrying out and establishing this culture in my home. The dad, the mom, and the children, all of them. You might look at this and you're like, wow, this is awesome. I know when I look at it, I think that too. And I'm like, man, I, need, I want something like this for my home. And some of you might be like, well, it doesn't say anything in, the bar- in there about like, you know, hard work or being led by the Spirit. Listen, the question is not, you know, is this perfect? The question is, are you being intentional about building culture in your home? Because it's up to you to establish it. No one else is going to do it for you. A great example of this is when God... Uh, came and saved and freed the Hebrew people from being slaves in Egypt. The Hebrews had been slaves in Egypt for 430 years. And then God sends Moses in, and uh, God starts turning the screws to Pharaoh, putting the pressure on him through all the plagues. Pharaoh lets the people go, right? And the Hebrews exit stage right. Now notice what God doesn't do here. Now, God doesn't go, congratulations, 
you're now free. Go and explore and be free to live the life that you've always wanted and dreamed. That's not what happens. He says, meet me at Sinai. And then what happens at Sinai? God gives the law, the Ten Commandments. Well, what's that all about? It's about culture. It's about a way of living. God was intentional about the culture that he wanted to develop in his people. The Apostle Paul has this same sentiment. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 15, he says this, Be very careful then how you live, not as unwise, but as wise, making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. You know, it's just really easy to let life just go by. It's really easy to just live accidentally. We're busy people. We have places to go, people to see, things to do. And it's just really easy for life to just kind of happen. And before you know it, you turn around and decades have passed. And you go, gosh, I I wish I would have been more intentional with my days, with my weeks, with my months and years. And God's word says, don't do that. Don't do that. Be careful how you live. Don't abdicate your responsibility at home because opportunities pass. That's why he says, make most of every opportunity. Why? Because opportunities come and then they go. The thing about culture, it's like a river with a strong current. You can get in it and you can start walking through it. You know, I don't know if you've ever been out in the West. You know, the, in, in the West, their rivers are not like we have the rivers here in Tennessee. You know, we've got the big old, huge, wide Cumberland River. You know, lots of power through there, you know, thank, thanking the TVA for that years and years ago. That's all dammed up, and we're able to harness the power of the water. But in the West, what we call creeks here, they call rivers there, you know. But some of them, you know, like the white water stuff, you can get out in some of the places in the river and you can stand and the, the, the current is strong, but it's not super deep. I mean, it's enough to raft on. It's enough to get your kayak out on, but you can stand and not be pushed over. But if you pick your feet up, you're gone. I remember a few years ago, I was rafting on the Poudre River in northern Colorado and just days before Uh, we rafted on that river. There were some young men that were out there and they had done that. They got out into the river and they picked their feet up and the river took them where they didn't want to go and they drowned because they got to a place in the river where they got pinned down. And culture is like that. We can get out into it, but if we're not intentional and we pick our feet up, we're going to find ourselves somewhere we don't want to be. We're going to find our family somewhere We don't want our family to be. And I'd say that that for a lot of us, abdication doesn't necessarily happen on purpose, but it kind of happens on accident. We have picked our feet up in the river. Listen, don't abdicate your responsibility to raise and train your children up in their spiritual life. Don't just put that off on the church. It's not the church's sole responsibility to raise your kids to love and serve God. 
It's your responsibility. The church exists to partner with you. And when I say the church, I don't mean this brand. I don't mean just our programs. I'm saying all of us here. I'm the church. Dale, you're the church. Amanda, you're the church. Jamie, you're the church. We are the church. It's not just a program. It's not just where we send our kids over to the next theater over to fill them up with God's word. We do that, and that's wonderful. Praise God for that. But it's not just Dale's responsibility to raise up my kids. It's not Austin's responsibility to raise up my kids spiritually. It's my responsibility. And yes, God has brought me into relationship with Dale. God has brought me into relationship with Austin so that they can help me, so they can supplement what I'm doing. But it's my responsibility. I can't abdicate that. I can't give up that role and responsibility to establish that Jesus culture in my home. Listen, if it ain't happening at home, what we're doing here with the limited amount of time that we have once a week is not going to stick. You've got to take responsibility. God placed you as the heads of your children, moms and dads. The second broken approach that we have toward building home culture is isolation. Now, what abdication does, abdication doesn't take into account the effect of outside influences on your home culture, but isolation is like the exact opposite. Isolation believes that we can just eliminate all the negative influences. If we can just do that, then we won't have anything bad to deal with. This approach was really popular when I was growing up. We only listened to Christian music. We only watched Christian movies. And at the time, there were like five. And they were awful. (laughs) Not good art. We only read Christian books and magazines. Procter & Gamble was the devil. And so we wanted to give all of our business to like family, Christian family bookstores, which doesn't even exist anymore. So that strategy didn't even work as, as a business model. Lifeway, who doesn't have any physical stores anymore either. We're trying to give all of our business to them. Hobby Lobby, Chick-fil-A, those are the people we're going to do business with, right? Because if we can just be super Christian, eliminate all of these negative influences out of our life, then we won't have anything ugly to deal with. But we misunderstood the nature of sin. In Mark chapter 7, the Pharisees are out of sorts with Jesus. Because Jesus is allowing his disciples to eat without going through this like ceremonial hand-washing thing, this made-up rule that the Pharisees came up with. And they've been doing it for a long time, but it wasn't something that God required of them. And so Mark Mark chapter 7, verse 5, the Pharisees and the teachers of the religious law asked Jesus, why don't your disciples follow our age-old tradition? They eat without first performing the hand-washing ceremony. They believed somehow that the external dirt made them internally dirty. And Jesus responded this, uh, verse 14. He says, all of you listen and try to understand. I like that. Jesus is like, please, don't just hear what I'm saying. Like, understand what I'm saying. Listen and understand. It's not what goes into your body that defiles you. You are defiled by what, what comes from your heart. And in verse 21, he says, For from within, out of a person's heart, come evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, 
murder, adultery, greed, wickedness, deceit, lustful desires, envy, slander, pride, and foolishness. All these vile things come from within. They are what defile you. What is Jesus saying? He's saying that our biggest problem is internal, not external. In other words, if you took your family and you moved to a deserted island and you threw away your phone and you, and you got rid of Netflix, you didn't have Netflix, you didn't have internet access, guess what? You would still be messed up because you are there. Sin is not an internal or sin is an internal issue. It's not an external issue. Now, does this mean that I could just let any and all external influences into my home? Can I just expose myself and my kids to just everything that we, we want? No, of course not. That's the other side of the ditch. Proverbs 4.23 says, guard your heart because out of it flows all the issues of life. So we want to be careful about the external influences that come into our home culture, but we can't make the mistake of thinking, well, if we can just keep everything shut out, then we won't have anything to deal with. I have firsthand seen people that I know in my life who the home culture that they grew up in was the culture of isolation. And when they grew up and they left home, they went off the rails. Why? Because yes, they dealt with the external things, but they didn't deal with the internal things. And it breaks my heart. People that I know and love and very close to. We cannot create this utopian environment that controls people into loving Jesus. Loving Jesus comes from your heart, a heart that's surrendered to him. It doesn't come from perfect circumstances. So the goal is to not isolate yourself from the external culture. The goal is to have a home culture that is bigger than the external culture. I'm going to say that again. The goal is to have a home culture that is bigger, that is greater than the external culture. 1 John chapter 4, verse 4 says, Greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. Amen? Listen, the Holy Spirit in you is a bigger influence than the culture of the world around you. And when he impacts you, he can impact your family, and he can impact the world around you. I thought this before. I thought, man, if I can just isolate my kids and I can keep them from like hearing a cuss word, if I can keep them from knowing anything or seeing anything about pornography, then I'll have done my job. I'll have won. Listen, your kids already know cuss words. Your kids already know about pornography. By avoiding discussing it, it doesn't mean that they don't know anything about it. All that it means is, is that they're not having a conversation with you about it. I talked to my, my kids. I said, man, guys, if you ever see things you're not supposed to see, come talk to me about it. If you ever accidentally see anything like that, if you ever see anything like that on purpose, come talk to me about it. You're not going to be in trouble. 
I'm not going to bring some punishment down on you. I just want to help you. I don't want you to be in bondage to those things. I want you to walk in freedom. And I can't help you walk in freedom if, you, if we, there's no line of, open line of communication. Your kid's not talking to you about this stuff. That's the last thing that you want as a parent. In the book of Jeremiah, Jeremiah predicts to the Jews over and over and over again. He goes, uh, we're going to be conquered by Babylon. We're going to be conquered by Babylon. Babylon's going to come in and conquer us. And nobody listened to him. Nobody believed him. They persecuted him. They attacked him. And then what happens? Nebuchadnezzar shows up, and he burns the city to the ground, and he takes the best and the brightest, and he takes them with him to Babylon. And so we've now got strangers, these Jews, they're living in a strange land. They're unfamiliar with the customs and the culture of Babylon. And through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, Jeremiah writes this to those who are in exile in Babylon. And he says this, Jeremiah 29, 7. He says, seek the peace and prosperity of the city to which I've carried you into exile. Pray to the Lord for it, because if it prospers, you too will prosper. What does this mean? It means don't isolate yourself from the culture. Engage it. Engage it. Because when we remove ourselves from the culture, we lose the opportunity to change the culture. How can you be the light of the world if you're not in the world? How many times have we said, well, we're, we're in the world, but not of the world? We know that scripture. We know it frontwards and backwards. But some of us, we've taken the strategy to not even be in the world. But the truth is, is that if we are supposed to be salt and light, isolation is not an option for us. Again, that doesn't mean you just expose yourself to everything. That's stupid. Abdication, isolation, and lastly, the approach this is the Jesus approach. <laughs> it's the approach that's going to make the difference that we want, and that is transformation. Transformation meaning this. God wants to do something in me first. The approach that some people have taken to Christianity, and we've seen a lot of this over the last several decades, is, is this. God, can you just fix my problems over here? You just fix my problems over here, God. Leave me out of it. I'm all right with doing the things that I'm doing right now. I'm all right with doing things my way. I like being in control. But God, I have this problem over here, and I can't seem to control it. I can't seem to fix it. So if you could just fix that for me, that would be great. Take care of my situation for me, God. Take care of my kids for me, God. Let's not talk about me. I don't want to talk about me. Let's talk about them. But God wants to do something in you so he can do something through you. Genesis chapter 12, God and Abraham, they enter into a covenant relationship. Now, a covenant relationship is completely different than a contractual relationship. Contractual relationships are based on, hey, we're going to be in this relationship together as long as everything is mutually good for all the parties involved. But a covenant relationship is 
hey, I'm in this with you, come hell or high water. The good days, the bad days, the ugly days, I'm not going anywhere. I'm in this. And this is the kind of relationship that God enters into with Abraham. And at the time, his name hadn't changed yet, so it's still Abram. In Genesis chapter 12, verse 2, this is what God says to Abram. He says, I will make you into a great nation. I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and curse those who curse you, and all the peoples on the earth will be blessed through you. In other words, God's saying, Abram, I'm going to do something so significant through you that it's going to change your family for generations to come. And not only is it going to affect and change your family for generations to come, it's going to affect everybody on planet Earth. They're going to be impacted through what I do through you. That's what a real Jesus culture looks like in home. Lord, let it start in me. Lord, transform me. Lord, change me. Lord, impact others. Impact my family. Impact others outside of my family through me. Listen, if you're not transformed, if you're not in the process of being transformed, if you're not living your life yielded to the leadership of the Holy Spirit's work of sanctification, then there's no way that you could ever expect to make any kind of real difference with your life. It starts with being transformed. So you say, God, do it in me. God, change me. God, transform me. And God begins to shape you. And God begins to mold you. And you just watch and see what happens in your home culture. You begin to watch and see what happens in your family. The truth is, is this, that transformed people transform culture. But untransformed people are transformed by culture. You have a choice. Let God do it in you or just let it all happen to you. You can be intentional. You can be strategic. Don't abdicate. Don't isolate. Make the conscious decision to say yes to the Holy Spirit's work of transformation and sanctification in your life. Be transformed by his power. Be transformed by his presence. Like I said before, God is a God of hope. He redeems your past and your present, and he gives you hope for the future. No matter where you find yourself in life today, there is always an opportunity to take a step toward God's hope for your life. There is hope for your home. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you so much that you are in the restoration business. Thank you so much that you're in the resurrection business. God, where there are dead places in us, where there's dead places in our families, in our church, in marriages, in parental relationships, in our spiritual life, God, I ask you to perform a work of resurrection. Resurrection in our hearts and in our families. And God, I just say, I just pray for me right now. God, work it in me. J.D. Swilly, work it in me. God, work it in me so that generations to come would be affected. 
so that our family trees would have a divergence from the path of poor, broken systems. And we start building a Jesus culture in our family tree. Thank you, Jesus. Our attention and our affections are on you. If you're here today, you might would say, man, I, I came in today. I'm not even sure why I'm here. A friend drug, drug me here. I just walked in. I stumbled in by myself for whatever reason that you're here and you're not following Jesus today. I want to give you an opportunity right now to hear some good news. The good news is this. You are God's creation. But the bad news is that because sin entered into the world, we became separated from God. But back to the good news. God sent his son Jesus to pay a price that we could never pay to have redemption, to be back in right relationship with God. And Jesus came, God in the form of man came to earth and he lived a life that we were destined to live, but we couldn't. And he died a death that we deserved, but we don't have to. And then he rose from the dead, proving he was the son of God. And then he fills us with his Holy Spirit when we say, Jesus, I wanna follow you. Jesus, I want you to be in charge of my life. And you can make that decision today. And if that's you today, I just want to invite you to pray with me right here, right now. You can, you can say the exact words that I'm saying, or you can say your own words. But whatever you say, put the meaning behind your words. God's going to hear you right now. God, I come to you right now, broken, destitute, a sinner, and I'm come to you to repent today. I come to you to turn away from the life that I have been living, and I want to turn toward you, and I want to do life your way. I ask you to forgive me of my sin. I ask you to make me clean, make me new. I believe that Jesus is the Son of God and that he is Lord that he is in charge, that he is the boss. And I want to come under that authority. I want to come under that, that leadership, that lordship. God, I believe that you raised him from the dead. And I give my life to you. And I ask you to fill me with your Holy Spirit and change the culture of my heart, change the culture of my home, and make a difference with my life. And I can pray this to you, God, because of what Jesus has done and who he is. Amen. Amen. Thanks for listening. Stay connected with us at SeedsChurchTN.com and on social media. Our mission at Seeds Church is to help people discover who God created them to be and equip them to do what he called them to do. One of the easiest ways you can help us accomplish our mission is by simply sharing this podcast. You can do so by subscribing, leaving a review on iTunes, or sharing it with your friends on Facebook. Thanks again for listening. We hope to see you soon.